What are you to do as we face the Isle of Man general election? In less than two weeks, you, who are of voting age anyway, have the opportunity to vote. Those elected will be responsible for making decisions about government, making laws, rules and regulations that affect our daily lives. The candidates all have ideas and plans which they say will make the world better for all of us to live in. And as we face this election, how should we as a church, how should we as individuals look upon the election? What should we do? And first of all, I want us to remember that God's law and gospel do not change. You see this in First Timothy chapter 1. We read there verse 8. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. As Paul wrote to Timothy, there had been those at Ephesus who were looking at the law as some sort of ground of salvation. Some of them who were thinking of the traditions of men and, and creating extra laws and rules that had to be met to please God. And perhaps others may have just insisted upon perfect law-keeping to please God. But yet they were looking to the law to make people acceptable, to make them good. And we can do that sometimes. We, we want to change society to make it better by enforcing something of God's law. However, in our age, there are people who work hard to remove the constraints of God's law. They no longer consider God's law to be good. They want to redefine things in accordance with what seems right to them today. It is rather similar to how things were in the days of the judges. Judges chapter 21 verse 25. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It's a little bit like playing a game of football. The rules are set down. One team doesn't get to change the rules at half time. Just to suit themselves. God has set the law. The rules. He set them in stone. To signify that they are good and change not. If everyone does that which is right in their own eyes. 
It's a recipe for chaos. And that's ha what happened in ancient Israel. The days of the judges. And you can read about that in the book of Judges. In those last few chapters are a terrible chronicle of sin. And the horrors that happen when people define what is good and right for themselves. But we must clearly understand that God is still the same. His law is good, doesn't alter. We have been made in the image of God. He is our creator. We are subject to his moral law, no matter how many people try to redefine it or ignore it. Rebellion against parents, murder, impurity, false witness, covetousness. All of these things cause pain and suffering. Calling God's law old-fashioned and out of touch with modern ideas does not remove the fact that it is what God has said and that it is good if used correctly. Chapter 1 verse 9 Knowing this that the law is not made for a righteous man but for the lawless and disobedient. God's law shows us up in the light of God's standard. It shines a bright light in a dark place. And all the dirt stands out. Think of a, a scene of crime officer visiting a crime scene. And they turn the natural light out. And then they shine a special light. And the bloodstains show up. Well, God's light shines in and shows up our sin. It declares that we are guilty. As we, as a society, the society of which we are part, have moved away from respect for God's law, so we have seen a breakdown in family life. People have turned to sport, to entertainment, to gambling, and to drugs to escape the realities of life. A desperate longing for something more. Sin promises much enjoyment and acceptance and fun. It looks attractive, but just as Eve found, it is deceptive. She saw the forbidden fruit, she said, that it looked good, and she ate it. But when eaten, it brings death, it brings separation from our Creator. And we must remember Proverbs 14 verse 34 says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. 
God's law has not changed, but neither has God's gospel. The Apostle says, chapter 1, verse 11, the glorious gospel of the blessed God. And verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. It's good to have a correct diagnosis. When you rightly identify a problem, you can look for the solution. And God has been so merciful and so gracious to us. Not only has he told us what the problem is, he's also shown us what the answer is. He's also provided that salvation in giving his only begotten son. As we look at the world around us, we see that the real problem is very personal. Each of us is a sinner. We have transgressed God's law. And that indeed, as Jeremiah 79 says, the heart, my heart, your heart, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. This is true. But how gracious God has been. John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The lesson from this our world's problems will never be solved by human government. Romans chapter 13 verse 3 we read rulers are not a terror to good works but to the evil. That is the proper role of government. It is to be a restraint on that which is bad, that which is wrong, that which is harmful, as God defines it. But that is only an outward conformity, a restraint of evil. When we know that the real problem in society is within each one of us, for we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Nothing that those we elect will be able to do can make any one of us righteous in the sight of God. Only the good news of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross and his glorious resurrection can do that. We see this in the case of the Apostle Paul as he says there in verse 13. As he says, I was before a, a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy. But I obtained mercy. And that's the transformation that is needed in our society. It's a personal transformation. 
Each of us needs to repent of our sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who died on that cross and who rose in mighty triumph from the tomb. It is through the proclamation of God's glorious gospel that people are given new life by the Holy Spirit and so become salt and light in the world as they show the fruit of the Spirit. So firstly, we have seen that we should remember that God's Lord and Gospel do not change. Secondly, let us consider that we must prioritize prayer. Chapter 2, verse 1. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and for all that are in authority. Prayer, very simply, means talking to God. We are to come boldly to the throne of grace in time of need to obtain mercy and grace to help. Think of Nehemiah when he heard that he was that pagan king's cupbearer. When he heard of the condition of Jerusalem what did he do? Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4 he says when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven take some time it's well worth it take some time to read Nehemiah's prayer of confession and intercession he poured out his heart before the Lord he brought his people identifying himself as one of them brought his people before the Lord confessing sin and interceding James reminds us of Elijah and tells us that the fervent effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much the words of first Timothy chapter two are speaking of, of praying for all classes of men for all men for kings and for all that are in authority we are to think of those who head up the government those who have positions of responsibility and authority. And our duty before the Lord, first of all, is to pray for them. And we live in a land where, where we have a role, a say, in choosing those people. So how much more should we pray about it? Pray for the candidates. Pray for those who are elected. As Paul wrote to Timothy, the emperor was Nero. Nero 
is said to have burned parts of Rome and then to have blamed the Christians and persecuted them. But Paul wanted Nero to be prayed for. So today we are to pray for those in Parliament and in government. We are to remember Romans 13 verse 1 that the powers that be are ordained of God. God will use them for his purpose. Just as Pilate thought that Jesus stood before him utterly powerless and yet it was the exact opposite. What Pilate was doing as Jesus stood on trial was going to be used to work out God's purpose. Actually, to bring salvation. Little did Pilate know that what men were planning for evil, God would use for good. And so we can be confident that even governments that are doing things that are horrendously evil will be used to bring glory to the Lord. We may not know why or how, but it is true. God will accomplish his purpose. The Apostle Paul knew what it was to suffer for the gospel. He spent a long time, years, as a prisoner for preaching Jesus Christ. And he wrote as a prisoner to the saints at Philippi. And we read in Philippians chapter 1 verse 12, The things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto, unto the furtherance of the gospel. The enemies of the gospel meant it for evil. They wanted to stop Paul preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified, him risen from the dead. But instead, because of his imprisonment, the gospel was brought to the praetorium, even perhaps to the palace in Rome. Our prayers are to be supplications, intercessions. We are to lay out our needs in utmost humility. We are helpless. God is powerful. We are to trust him. To hand over these matters unto him. In detail. Knowing that the Lord uses the worst of men to accomplish his purpose. We should also pray with thanksgiving for all classes of men with thanksgiving because even a bad government 
brings a measure of order, an opportunity, how much more a less bad government or a good government would. We can be thankful amidst difficult days that the Lord is faithful. We can be thankful that he's working out his purpose. And we'll glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in all of these things. We can be thankful that we don't live in a failed state. Think back ten years or so to the riots that happened on the streets of some of the cities in England. That thin veneer was broken for several days. And crowds of lawless rioters took to the streets and seemed to take control. What wanton destruction there was. That's not the sort of atmosphere in which the gospel can prosper. We have much to be thankful for. Even in difficult days. And as we pray, our desires should be, chapter 2, verse 2, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, with honourableness. For, we read, the reason we should desire to live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness. For, verse 3, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Saviour, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. In the context, God wants people from all different classes every tribe and nation to be saved. We are to desire peace in society for the furtherance of the gospel. We are to want to be able to live quiet and godly lives so that God's word can be heard that people will be saved. God wants to save sinners. What a motive this should be for our prayers. You may not know who to vote for in the election. But one thing is very clear. Prayer is to be our priority. And we are to cast our cares upon the Lord. We are to trust him to give us wisdom. We are to trust him to work out his purpose. And then we are to go on and pray for those who are elected. That we may live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness. Because God wants to save Let us pray for gospel opportunity. So, we have seen 
that God's law and gospel do not change. We thought about the priority of prayer. Finally, let us note that we are to proclaim God's truth. We are to proclaim God's truth. Only by coming to a knowledge of the truth will anyone be saved. We see this in the passage we read, firstly in the context of the church. Because there were those who had come in and who were seeking to spread other doctrine. Verse 3 of chapter 1. Charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. There are always errors Heresies, false teachers that are trying to bring corruption to the church, to lead people astray. We have to go back again and again to Scripture. We have to proclaim God's truth in the face of error. That's very important. But we must also be proclaiming God's truth in the world around us. As the Apostle says in chapter 2 verse 7, Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I am ordained a preacher and apostle. Paul's duty was to herald to proclaim, to announce God's truth to everybody who would listen. To teach, to make clear what Christ has done and why. To call for repentance and faith. It's not always a popular message. That's not something new. Remember? Where did Paul end up? He was a prisoner. The end of his life. He was a prisoner. Wasn't a popular message. But it, it is a successful message. Because Christ is building his church. Further to that. It's also the only hope. Amidst the darkness of the age. It is the only way of reconciliation with God. The only path to peace. Dear friends, amidst much prayer, we are to bring the truth of Christ to those around us. The Apostle is not with us today in person, but we have the apostolic teaching in the word of God. And this is what we are to proclaim to everyone who will listen. We of course are to start by living out the gospel. 
not living contrary to what we are teaching. But we are to be clear about what we believe, to be salt and light in the world around us. It is our duty as Christians and much prayer to bring God's truth. We are not here to selectively choose those who we think are, are likely or would make nice Christians because we don't know. Just as the sower scattered the seed widely. So we are here to proclaim God's truth to all. We are here as witnesses for Jesus Christ. The church is not a local social club. Nor is it merely some sort of activist group attempting to right all the wrongs in the world. We are here for a purpose, for a reason. We have the answer to the foundational problems that lie behind every issue. We know that the problem is that we are all sinners before the Holy God. We live in God's world. His law changes not. But we also know that his glorious gospel has not changed either and that he saves sinners. And what good news this is for us to bring to the world around us. And we can do so with an assurance. As, John, as Jesus said in John chapter 10 verse 27, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They follow me. Romans 10 verse 14 tells us. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Then how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? That's what the church is here for today. That's what individual Christians are here for. To witness. To tell people God's good news. Dear friends, this is spiritual work. The darker the world around us becomes the more sure and certain we should be that people need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Let us pray and let us rejoice in the good news that Christ came into the world to save sinners. And so let us go out and proclaim God's glorious gospel. Dear friend, what about you? You've heard what God's law says about you. You're a sinner. 
God's judgment rests upon you if you are not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what mercy, what grace, what good news if you look unto Jesus confessing your sin. If you call upon the name of the Lord you will be saved that is wonderful good news take it personally look to Jesus Amen